Summer driving is here, and so are the red-hot deals on the best tire brands at Dobbs. Money-saver June deals on new sets of Goodyear, Cooper, Continental, Michelin, and Pirelli tires. Click on GoToDobbs.com to find your next set of tires today. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and happy Monday. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. It's Carriker and Smallman. It is 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler with Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carriker. And Michelle, I hope you had a great weekend. I pretty much finished my holiday shopping over Already? the course of this weekend. Yeah, I was sitting on my couch yesterday. I thought, oh, I'll go shopping. So I pretty much finished. Well, I hope you were sitting on the couch watching football while you were shopping. There was a lot of football on yesterday. Yeah, I had a good time. Well, congratulations to you. I still have a couple things left on my list, and it's December 6th. I, pr- I probably better get on that. Yeah, we've got uh, 14 more days of work before the holiday season. We're, we're off. We don't get off the Monday after Christmas. We get off Christmas Eve day. So I, I don't know if you were aware of that. I actually asked the question last week, so now you know via radio. Thank you for that. Thank you for you asking, because I didn't know. Yeah, so that, that's the deal. We'll have a best of such as it is, on uh, on Christmas Eve. But we got plenty of radio before that, and uh, we're thrilled to have you with us. And as great a morning as we're having, and Monday, Monday mornings are always fun. It's great to see each other again. Great to come off an NFL weekend. We cannot, Michelle, be having as much fun as they are in Detroit this morning. Because they finally had a victory. Yesterday, high drama. And I'm not watching on TV, but I am keeping an eye on what's going on in this game on the interwebs because I had Justin Jefferson of the Vikings playing on uh, uh, just the two of us, by the way, a heartbreaker. We lost by a point, Michelle. Another one? Another heartbreaking. Well, And we had Clyde Edwards-Alaire going last night. All we needed was like three more yards from Clyde Edwards-Alaire oh. and we win the game. Come on, Clyde. Yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a heartbreaker. But that's us, not a heartbreaker for the fans in Detroit. First victory of the year on the line. Goff's got it. Back, looks, throws, and yes. caught. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. They did it. Armin Ross St. Brown in the receiving end. Oh, they're rushing the field. They've done it. Three zeros on the clock. This game is over. It's over. Jared Goff to Amon Ross St. Brown, his first career touchdown. And how big is that? Oh, my goodness. It sounds like they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Which it's is awesome. amazing. And they've had some games that they've played really tough this season, and it just didn't work out for them. They, The Lions find ways to lose games. It's almost yeah. remarkable the way that they can find a way to lose the game. But congratulations to them for finally securing their first win of the season. How exciting in Detroit. Love to see it. Our buddy Coach Venturi is the analyst for Colts games. And last night on the Sunday night game, Chris Collinsworth said he thinks the scariest team in the league is the Colts because they're built to play anywhere. They run the ball. They stop the run. 
it's not a big deal when you beat Houston, but they hammered them 31-0. And the thing about Indy, they've got the best running back in the league with Derrick Henry injured, and they still aren't completely healthy. They're, they have T.Y. Hilton back. He's not yet 100%. They've got a couple of defenders that are still coming back. Indy's going to be, as Steve Savard would have called them, a snootful once we hit playoff time. They will be a snootful, but I still have that lingering question in my mind that if it comes down to it in the final minutes of the game, do you trust Carson Wentz? That's the big thing. Do you? And he is going to have to make plays in the postseason because he's, heck, he leads the league in intercept, touchdown to interception ratio this year. But when the stage is at its biggest, is he going to make that mistake? And is he going to make that mistake from his own end zone where he throws the pick six with his left hand? I, I still can't trust him. I can't trust him. And as dangerous as Indy does look, that's the one reason that would cause me to not pick them because I just don't know if Carson Wentz can do it when the lights are the brightest. Just hand the ball to number 28. It seems to work. Yeah. <laughs> one guy who's playing well and one team who's playing well is the defending Super Bowl champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with a 30-17 to victory over Atlanta. And in his 21-year career, Tom Brady has yet to lose to the Falcons. Nah, uh, it's a great organization. I, I think, you know, I, I didn't play much when I was with the Patriots. Um, last couple of years, we played pretty good against them. You know, we played good. We, we actually, like, here last year was a really tough game. We were down a bunch of points at half and then came out and really sparked our whole second part of our season, uh, you know, playing them here. And um, played, they played us hard at home this year. You know, it was a close game, 28-25 in the, in the fourth quarter. And then, again, played us tough here. It's a... Really well-coached team. Um, they fight to the end. They got a lot of good players. Very Belichickian there. We remember, Tom, when you've been down versus the Atlanta Falcons and you find ways to come back and win. We remember those games, especially one in particular. Yeah, 28-3. to Yeah. Don't use that. By the way, he's 9-0, and including the playoffs against the Falcons. Wow. So as great as that organization is. 9-0 and is 9-0. and Of course he thinks they're great. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, you just keep everything in place. Keep the same yeah. owner. Just keep doing what you've been doing. Yeah, whatever you guys got going there, <laughs> I respect it. All right, you've got uh, Philadelphia 33-18 win over the Jets. Producer engineer today, Andrew Marsh, wearing his Gardner Minshew jersey. This is from the Jacksonville days, but uh, you, you must have loved seeing Gardner Minshew just chew up the New York football Jets. Oh, it was great. And did you see the video after the game with his father? He was pumped up, and it got me really excited. Love that jacket he was wearing, too. I was going to say, what was that, a Top Gun reference? I mean, It the, had to be. It was, it was very cool. Did you see the jacket, Randy? No. So it almost looked like he was Maverick from Top Gun, you know, uh, in the video of him with his dad, someone in the background is yelling, respect the troops, we love the troops. <laughs> <laughs> but that video with his dad was really special, just to see the pure emotion out of both of them after the game. Other scores yesterday, Arizona maintains the best record in the league with a 33-22 win over the Bears. We'll hear more about that in our next segment. The Chargers almost blew a 24-0 lead against Cincy. Cincy had a chance to tie the game and get to within 24-24. They didn't get the two-point conversion, and then the, the Chargers wind up scoring a couple of touchdowns, a field goal late. Good performance by their quarterback and a 41-22 win for the Chargers at Cincinnati. Do you think that that matchup is going to be one of the marquee mac matchups of the future in oh, Joe yeah. Burrow versus Justin Herbert? I don't think there's any doubt. And if so, which of those two quarterbacks would you take if you had to take one? I'd take Herbert. I think I'd take Herbert, too. As much as I love yep. Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert's got it. Yeah, he's he's very impressive. The Rams beat Jacksonville 37-7. Jacksonville was in the game, though, at one point. It was 
Rams win 37-10. Don't worry, next three lose. So <laughs> you're fine there. Uh, the Washington football team, Ron Rivera can coach, and Taylor Heineke can quarterback. He leads a game-winning drive. Washington over Vegas, 17-15 at Vegas. Pittsburgh over Baltimore, 2019. Another game we'll hear about coming up in our next segment. How about the Ravens? Uh, but how about Pittsburgh? How about Pittsburgh? The how end is Big near. Ben? The end is near. Yeah, it is. We thought the end was near for Seattle, and they knock off San Francisco, 30-23. to Yeah, that's a head-scratching team. Yeah, you never know. And then last night, Kansas City over Denver by a score of 22-9. to Meanwhile, over the weekend, your St. Louis Blues with a shootout loss in Florida to the Panthers. When we started this four-game stretch against Florida teams, I thought, well, we get four points out of this, I'd be happy. Then I wanted six, and now I'll be happy with four again. Uh, yeah, I think I'll be happy with four as well. Here's what happened. The Blues had the lead. They allow a late goal, and then they take a penalty in overtime. Bad, bad penalty in overtime. Robert Bortuzzo without a stick with one of the all-time great penalty-killing performances in the overtime period. And then the Blues drop it in a shootout, and Craig Bruby after the game asked if this was what you call the hard-earned point on the road. Yeah, goalie played really well. Guys battled, had to kill some penalties. You know, in a third and overtime, um, you know, they battled. I mean, we gotta got to work on some things uh, for sure. We play them again, so we'll look at the tape and uh, we'll get better. And Ville Husso can't get much better than he was. He's been really impressive um, and stepped up when the Blues needed him to. But even though they got the point, Randy, I, I still I don't really know how to evaluate or judge what we're seeing right now with the Blues with so many question marks and, and no cohesion and so many guys that have been out. It's it's just still at this point in the season, December 6th, you'd like to have a better feel for who this team is. Right, but COVID has ruined any semblance of yeah. cohesiveness here. Like you say, we don't know what the Blues are. I mean, if, if you don't have David Perron, who's one of your two or three best players, that's going to hurt you. You don't have Jordan Biddington now. You don't have... You didn't have for a long time Braden Shen. You didn't have O'Reilly for a long time. Uh, now you're missing your arguably your number one defenseman in Justin mm-hmm. Falk. There's no way that you can properly judge this team, is there? No. You you just named every single key component almost <laughs> right. of this team that yeah. they've been missing at some point during the season. How can you judge this team? So I, I'm willing to take my chances. Heck, not that we're going to have another year like we had in 2019, but what we can judge is that once they're together they're capable of playing really good hockey and i'm not going to i'm not going to judge them i'm not going to say they're good they're bad they're terrible i think that once they're all together if you get this group together in the playoffs they're going to be a tough out i agree i like their chances if they're all healthy yeah and what you have to do is just hang in there and finish start Stay in the top three in your division. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, four downs in the NFL on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It is time for... Four Downs with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. First Down. 
All right, Michelle, we'll start with the game of the day. Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. The Steelers with only three points through three quarters, but Big Ben resurrected them with a couple of touchdown passes, and he resurrected himself as well. And Pittsburgh takes a 20-13 to 13 lead over the Ravens with 1.48 to go. Back comes the remarkable Lamar Jackson driving Baltimore 60 yards in eight plays. 1.36 was the elapsed time for the apparent tying touchdown. But Ravens coach John Harbaugh channels his inner Herm Edwards. Hello? You play to win the game. <laughs> you don't play to just play it. That's the great thing about sports. And here's what happened. Jackson flings it. Andrews can't get to it. Could not reel it in. Incomplete. Unbelievable. It was a great play call. Andrews is open. Lamar, though, has the great T.J. Watt in his face. It's not an easy throw. The ball just has to be flicked with a little bit of height. Oh, and it's one inch from Baltimore. 2019, the final. Coach John Harbaugh, what are you thinking there? Try to win the game right there. We were pretty much out of corners, you know, at that point in time. So there's an opportunity to try to win the game right there. Sure enough, out of corners, here's who was who were out. Cornerbacks Jimmy Smith and Chris Wenstry were inactive before the game. Marcus Peters, Iman Marshall, Khalil Dorsey already on IR. And their best, Marlon Humphrey, injured during the game, probably out for the year. Michelle, that was the smart move for John Harbaugh. I, I loved going for it. I believe the analytics said 50-50 either way. Mm -hmm. And as you said, they're banged up. So I understand why he made that decision. And so... Everybody that leads a division in the AFC now has a record of eight and four, eight and four, pending tonight's New England game against the Buffalo Bills. But the Ravens are in a little bit of trouble with all of those. They've got seven cornerbacks that were out yesterday. They can't play if that's going to be their case. No, yeah, they're in a, they're a tough position. And as you mentioned, New England playing tonight. New England looking strong, Randy, rounding into form. They are. Let's see how they do against a team that's pretty good, though with Buffalo tonight. Okay, I, I agree. It's going to be a good litmus test for yeah, them. Yeah, definitely. Join in the holiday spirit of supporting this year's character and... We're going to do second down. Second down. Randy, is Tua the guy for the Dolphins? I think he might be. As much as Miami didn't want him to be, it looks like Tua might be the guy. After going 1-7, and seven, the Dolphins have figured it out. They've won... Five in a row. They're now sitting at six and seven. They extended their winning streak to five games by beating the New York Giants 20 to nine yesterday. Tua completed 30 41 passes, 244 yards, and two touchdowns. And he's really utilizing that short passing game. Clearly, the team has found something that works for Tua. And I'm wondering if this team could potentially win out if they have their bye coming up this next week and then they face the Jets. Win. The Saints. Win. The suddenly vulnerable Tennessee Titans. Win. And then they close out the season with New England, which I think will be win. a tough game. But they could win. But think about that. A Dolphins team that weeks ago we were talking about Deshaun Watson and were they going to go out and acquire Deshaun. And now Tua has peeled off five wins in a row for the Dolphins. How about that? Ten and seven to get you into the playoffs in the AFC, too. Yes, it would. And their defense is playing unbelievably well. This is not a defensive league, but the teams that play defense seem to be playing really, really well. So... Yeah, I think there's a chance. And the weird thing is, they're going to be even better. They've got a couple of first-round picks next year. They're going to get even – they need to find a running back. They, they're going to get even better. Are you a Tua believer? Oh, totally. Yeah, I, I've – well, we, we've always been Tua believers That's here right. in this room. I mean, our fantasy football name is called Just the Tua Us. Yeah, but I'm sure that right now Brian Flores is glad that he didn't trade for Deshaun Watson. 
Well, when you look at the Tua situation, too, he was still young. He was still figuring himself out, and he was coming back from a really brutal injury right. and dealing with all this external noise that he wasn't good enough and that the team may be wanting to replace him. And this is how he responds yep. by going out there and being effective and efficient for his team and helping lead them to five victories. I think if you're the Dolphins, that's a pretty good indication that he might be the guy. If they get into the last weekend of the season with the chance to go to the playoffs, they will be the proverbial team that nobody wants to face. Third down. All right, Michelle, our St. Louis Cardinals, St. Louis, Arizona Cardinals are unbelievable right now. Kyler Murray totaled four touchdowns, two passing, two rushing in the Cardinals' 33-22 win at Chicago. Kyler doubling Arizona's 7-0 lead in the first quarter. On third and goal. Murray trying to avoid the rush. Kyler Murray taken off to the pylon and in. Touchdown, Arizona. And here's some fun facts about the Cardinals. 7-0 on the road. They're the third team ever to win seven consecutive road games within a single season, each by at least 10 points. They joined the 1984 San Francisco 49ers, who won the Super Bowl, and the 1968 Dallas Cowboys, who were in the Super Bowl. Murray has 10,092 career passing yards. He became, the Kyler Murray became the fourth youngest player at 24 years and 120 days old to reach 10,000 passing yards in NFL history. He surpassed Cam Newton and joined only Drew Bledsoe, Jameis Winston, and Dan Marino as having 10,000 yards at that age. Murray has 13 career games with both a passing and a rushing touchdown since entering the NFL. He has joined Dak Prescott for the third most such games by a quarterback in his first three years all time, trailing only Cam Newton and Josh Allen. And one other Kyler Murray fun fact, he has 20 career rushing touchdowns. He joins Cam Newton and Josh Allen as the only quarterbacks with at least 20 rushing touchdowns in their first three seasons in the Super Bowl era. We are watching a changing of the guard among quarterbacks in the NFL, and right at the top of that list of changing of the guard quarterbacks is Kyler Murray. Talk about teams you don't want to play in the playoffs. No. Even if they are they have to go on the road. 7-0 on the road. Yeah. Pretty good. We knew that they were a tough team when they didn't have Kyler Murray and DeAndre yeah. Hopkins. And now with them back, no They'll thanks. better and better and better. That's my Super Bowl pick. I like that. I'll take them in, in the Super Bowl as well. A lot of people think maybe Green Bay, but I don't know. The way that they're playing, the weapons that they have, as electric as Kyler is, I, I look at the Arizona Cardinals, I'm like, this is a Super Bowl team. And it's a different animal if Green Bay has to go to Arizona. Right now, Arizona has home field throughout the playoffs. And the bye. Fourth down. Lions-Vikings, Randy. What an interesting game. In the first half, Jared Goff threw for two touchdown passes. Detroit was actually up 14 and a half, 20 to 6. That was their biggest lead of the entire season. So you're thinking, if you're a Lions fan, maybe you're feeling pretty good, right? Not. Jared Goff then turns the ball over twice in the second half, but it wasn't over yet, and we didn't know, but we were in for a wild finish. A minute 50 left. Kirk Cousins hit Justin Jefferson for the touchdown, but the Vikings failed on a two-point conversion third time. And Jared Goff gets the ball. He leads the the Lions on a 75-yard possession without a timeout. He hits St. Brown for the touchdown right as time expires, and the Lions secure the victory 29-27. to Their first of the season. They are winless no more. And Randy, just when we thought Jared
Jared Goff had done something really stupid. He turns it around and he totally redeems himself. And their winless streak, this is interesting, their winless streak lasted 364 days. The last time they won was at Chicago last season. And after the game, Randy, I thought Dan Campbell, their head coach, was all class. He dedicated the game ball to Oxford, Michigan, the community that was dealing with the school shooting at Oxford High School last week that claimed the lives of four students. And the Lions had been in some games this season, especially in the, in the game versus the Rams. You thought maybe the Lions would walk away with the victory. And as fun as it is to make fun of teams that go winless, I'm glad that the Lions were able to peel off their first W of the season. Yeah, they deserve it. Their fans deserve it. If people aren't aware of it, Brad Holmes, their general manager, started his career as an intern in the St. Louis Rams PR department. Really a good guy. And he's brought one of the nicest people in the world, Ray Agnew, over there as their assistant GM. They have a lot of St. Louis Rams flavor in that organization. And you won't meet a more intense guy than Dan Campbell. Obviously, he wants his players to bite kneecaps That's off right. of opposing players. But the big thing for me is their fans. They're, you talk about a long-suffering fan base. One playoff victory since 1957. And a lot of a lot of long stretches like this where they haven't won games. And they, by the way, fired a coach five years ago who was over 500. They've had one over 500 coach since the 1950s, and that was Jim Caldwell. And they fired him, even though he was like 10 games over 500, made the playoffs a couple of times. Because they thought they could do better. Right. And then they hired Matt Patricia. Ooh. But the, pe- the pencil, Randy, rocket scientist, Belichick tree. Yeah, the Belichick tree is, it looks like trees right now. It's No leaves. No leaves, <laughs> no. So good for the Lions and good for their fans, and hopefully they'll be able to maintain a semblance of competitiveness. That's a division where if Aaron Rodgers is gone next year and the Vikings, as you mentioned, they're always vulnerable, and uh, the, the Bears, you never know what you're going to get. That's a, a, an organization that has an opportunity to take advantage of a vulnerable division if they can just keep ascending. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that is Four Downs on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, one of the more successful basketball coaches in the St. Louis area over the last few years has been Kelvin Lee, and he's got a new podcast out. We're going to talk to Kelvin about the podcast and about some of his recent history next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker, one of the outstanding college bas- or high school basketball coaches in the area for some time has been Kelvin Lee. He's at U-City now. And Kelvin and Tony Dean have a new podcast out every week. It's called the Sports Extravaganza. And Kelvin Lee joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Coach, it's always good to talk to you. I had a chance to see you a couple of weeks ago, and I hope all is well. How are you doing this morning? Well, I'm a little worn out right now. Every, every day I work out with a, one of my former players at Chaminade by the name of Carl Givens. He owns a fitness center in the, in the loop called Givens 100, and he works me out every morning and wears me out, man. So I try to get that in every day. That self-care is good, you know. Glad that you're dedicated, Coach. Well, a lot of people listen to podcasts when they work out, and as Randy mentioned, you have a new podcast. Tell us about it. What made you want to start this podcast? Well, again, it was something that's been on my mind for a long time. And, um, again, just being a coach, a former athlete, and um, I just thought about – I've been on several people's shows before, and I thought about all the 
connections I have. And I've talked it over to several people, including Aeneas Williams, who is my pastor. And Aeneas just said, Kevin, you'll be perfect for it. He said, you know a lot of people. You're well-connected. And, um, again, your personality and my communication skills add up to, again, you'll be perfect. And then I thought about it, and I reached out to uh, Curtis Conyers, and um, he's in our communication department at, at U-City. Does a great job with the communications there. And um, he, he jumped on board with it, and he was my producer. And uh, we had a place down um, uh, called, uh, where was down Right down in Ferguson. Yeah, Ferguson. And um, we were doing a show. Then I reached out to Tony Dean. Tony Dean was uh, working for the Roberts Network. When I when I joined on with Charlie Spoon, I was at St. Louis University, and he used to interview me once a weekend. And, again, uh, he had that voice, and he had that experience. And I reached out to him, and Tony just jumped all over. He said, Kevin, I'm with you. So, again, I can't, I come in from a, a coaching standpoint. You know, I, I know all the people and I got connections. And, and But he's got that television experience and that voice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, again, putting all that together, I thought that this should be a good idea. So we've jumped off and we've had a, a really good time so far. We've had some great guests, including Florida Irons, Marvin Neals, Earl Lawson Jr., a long time, you know, Ron Zetcher, who's a long time official in NC2A. And then we had Jahadi White. Larry Hughes, you know what I mean? Kelly Thames is up next. You know, we've had a, a long list of people, and, and we've, we're having a great time with it. And, and, again, I'm just looking forward to the future with this podcast. And uh, you can find it at your favorite podcast place, The Sports Extravaganza, with Calvin Lee and Tony Dean. And, Coach, one of the things that we've talked about a lot here and we've wondered is how good the St. Louis area basketball scene is and you've recruited it as you mentioned for SLU and been part of it for such a long time Travis Ford told us last week that this is one of the top five areas in the country in terms of high school basketball talent so not only are there a lot of stories to tell from the old days like Larry Hughes and Conzo Martin and Blake Ahern but it seems and by the way the guys you coached Jason Tatum and Bradley Beal and David Lee it seems like it's at as high a level now as it's ever been yeah it is and by the way we had um, Blake Ahern and Conzo Martin on the sports extravaganza also you're talking about great shows to those two guys. It was unbelievable. I learned a lot by listening to him, you know. And the things about Blake I didn't know when he was growing up, you know, training and his dad being involved, how he used to take notes and stuff like that since he's in the fourth grade all the way up and now with the Memphis Grizzlies. So, again, again, uh, yeah, basketball has really grown in St. Louis from when I moved here as an assistant coach. That's when Larry Hughes, Justin Tatum, those guys were in the eighth grade. Then you had Chris Carwell, Jahadi White, Lauren Woods, and then it just goes on and on. David Lee came through when I was coaching in Chaminade. But, again, it's just it's, – it's, it's turned into a hotbed for college coaches to recruit. And uh, they said Travis Ford don't have to go far. He can stay right here in St. Louis and get some talent here and get that program going in slow. Kelvin, you mentioned some really impressive names. David Lee, Bradley Beal, Jason Tatum, obviously Larry Hughes. You've coached these guys. Outside of their physical skill set, is there something that all of these guys have in common that contribute to their greatness? Well, you hit a key word right there, your skill set. That's something I noticed in all those guys, like David Lee. I saw him in the eighth grade at an all-star game at the old CBC on Clayton Road over there. And um, and I walked in the gym, and I didn't know these kids. I had just moved to St. Louis from Waco at Baylor. And I didn't know. I just – and then everybody kept telling me to watch Tamar Macklin. You keep, keep an eye on him and all this. And all of a sudden, the game started. 
And I saw this kid, you know, he was like about six three at the time, but he was he was handling the ball, making great decisions, making good passes, and I fell in love with him and it happened to be David Lee. It wasn't so much his scoring, but it was it was his ball handling and decision making. You know what I mean? And again, uh, he decided to come to Chaminade, which is a blessing in disguise. He got kicked out of John Burroughs. That's another story. But again, um, when he showed up, I just I reached out to Lon Kruger, Bobby Crummins at Georgia Tech, and I told both of them, you better get in here and see this kid at an early age. And they both came in, and Bobby Crummins looked at me and he said, he's a pro. And it's, again, it's, it's just the skill set, the ball handling. You know what I mean? At a young age, that's what you, that's what a lot of kids, these kids get today. And now it's so so much advanced with Drew Hanlon and all these uh, trainers out there. That's you know that's reached these kids have outlets to indulge in. It's incredible how how much better they are than when we were growing up. I don't know if they were better, but the skill set. And, Kelvin, that's one of the things you were just told the story about David Lee. One of the things that you want to get out in the podcast is the journey that these guys took. We think, okay, well, uh, they've been a great player all along, and it hasn't just been the skill set. It hasn't just been the ability. These guys all ha- have an incredible level of competitiveness and work ethic, too. Well, yes, they do. Again, they, they love it. And then that's, again, I always tell people my, the, the, my program at Shaman, I didn't take off that these kids showed up. You know, David Lee, you know, my nephew, Ken Frank Bennett, who's a coach over there, that class, when they showed up, basketball meant something to them. And that's the difference in some kids and, you know, and making it to the next level as far as college and the NBA. You know, when you come in as freshman in high school, it's different than middle school. You know, it's a different jump. And then you got to get better each year. I had John Hammond, who's the general manager of Orlando Man- Magic, who coached me at Houston Baptist. He would tell me, he's a Kelvin, kids that made the NBA are the ones who get better from freshman, sophomore, junior to senior. They get better each year. They don't level off. Then they get to college and they start over again. They got to be better each year. Those are kids who make it to the NBA. And that's what David Lee, Bradley Bill, Jason Tatum, and other kids in the areas, whatever you use from these kids that's made it to the NBA, that's what they've done. You know, they 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 said that incredible desire to get better. Kevin Lee, who's the next guest on the Sports Extravaganza podcast? Well, like I said before, we got Kelly Thames coming in, and then Kelly and his son, like Larry Hughes. We had both him and his son on did a father son segment, but Kelly and Kellen are next to come on. You know, we're right in the middle of our basketball season, so I had to take a break from it. <laughs> <Yep>. But again, <laughs> we're gonna pick it up real soon. But those two will be next. All right, Coach, great to have you with us. And, again, the name of the podcast is the Sports Extravaganza Podcast, and you can find it anywhere that you find your podcast. Thank you, sir. Yeah, we you do appreciate hey, you, you can check it out on YouTube. we got YouTube stage as well, so you can go to YouTube and check it out. Perfect. All right. Thanks, Kelvin. Good to talk to you, and have a happy Randy, holiday good season. Hey, good seeing you, Randy. Keep delivering those turkeys. <laughs> Will do. See you later. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. That's Kelvin Lee. He is the head coach at U-City. We were together a couple of weeks ago de- delivering turkeys with uh, his team and the Demetrius Johnson Charitable Foundation. Meanwhile, Michelle, speaking of college basketball, it has been a rough go for the local teams of late. SLU lost to UAB Saturday. They host Belmont tomorrow. Mizzou with a loss to Liberty last Thursday, and they play Eastern Illinois tomorrow. And the Fighting Illini are off until, well, they actually play Iowa tonight. They're at Iowa. And then they played 11th-ranked Arizona on Saturday. And the Illini, uh, they've won four in a row. But, man, those two losses to Marquette and Cincinnati, just devastating. Well, that Marquette loss, they didn't have Kofi. Right, right. And the Cincinnati one, that one was just brutal. Yeah, but they'll be fine. And, by the way, after they play 
uh, Iowa, Arizona, and St. Francis. It's here in St. Louis against Mizzou on December 22nd. So the local teams, Illinois needs to keep things going tonight. SLU needs to pick things up tomorrow. Mizzou needs to pick things up tomorrow and get it going. And then we have the Bragging Rights game, as you mentioned, one of the best events in the St. Louis sports calendar. Brought to you by McBride Homes this year. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Andrew Marsh is here. Michelle, Randy, and Michelle, take it or leave it. If we have a St. Louis Bowl in the NFL playoffs, if the Los Angeles Rams visit the Arizona Cardinals, it will be Cardinal Day in St. Louis. Oh, I'll take that. Yeah, I, I think far more people would prefer the Arizona Cardinals win over the L.A. Rams. I would think so. I, I sense in the people that I associate with, there is a lot more nostalgia. Even though the Rams won the Super Bowl, there's a lot more positive nostalgia about the football Cardinals' stay here than there is about the Rams' stay. And I guess it's all about the way they left and the way Kroenke left, and maybe there's some recency bias there too. But I certainly feel better about the old football Cardinals than I do about the Rams. Well, as you mentioned, the way that each team left was very different. And I think those feelings towards Stan Kroenke and the Rams are still really raw. I mean, we just had Mm -hmm. the settlement with the lawsuit weeks ago. So, yeah, it's going to take some time for those wounds to heal. I don't know if they ever do. I don't don't know if we ever move beyond a just uh, benign feel about the L.A. Rams. I I don't know if if they'll ever, like, be a team that St. Louis embraces. Oh, I don't think – let me back up here. The football Cardinals, the big red machine, people have affection for mm-hmm. those teams. Yeah. I don't think there will ever be affection for the L.A. Rams. No. I think it will be anger that subsides into apathy at some exactly. point. There will be a Agreed. deadening of that anger. But I don't think that there will ever be affection for that that organization. I'm with you. And that's the difference. Right. And the fact that Michael Bidwill can contribute here in St. Louis to the National Football Foundation and – they, they actually sponsor with a $10,000 a year donation. They sponsor things in St. Louis. He actually, he was one of the two votes to uh, against the Rams moving. Yeah. There are a lot of reasons to like the Cardinals in St. Louis because he actually cares about St. Louis. And has helped St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, but take it or leave it. If you're looking at Super Bowl matchups, you're hoping for Bucks patriots Yeah, I'll, t- I'll take that. I, I, Brady against Belichick would be fun. It'd be interesting. Mac Jones versus the the guy he's yeah. trying to live up to. And th- what about this? So right now, if you're looking at the Belichick-Brady power rankings, Brady's at the top, right? He left. He won a Super Bowl. If Belichick beats Brady in the Super Bowl with the new quarterback that he chose, does he get on top of those rankings forever, even though Brady won first? I don't know, because Brady's always going to have a way better record without Belichick than Belichick will have without Brady. Belichick still is not at 500 without Tom Brady as a starting quarterback in his career. But don't you think if he beats him in the Super Bowl, that's kind of the ultimate trump yeah, card? It's kind of one game. But it's a pretty important one. Yeah, it's a big <laughs> one. 
Yeah. But the fact that we could debate that forever. Yeah. That both of them had won Super Bowls without one another. I would I would imagine that the numbers for that game, if they were to meet in the Super Bowl, the television numbers oh, would be through the through, roof. Through the roof. It'd be unbelievable. All right, Andrew, what do you got for us on the text line 65780? Yes, take it or leave it. Even after Jordan Bennington comes back, Vili Huso will continue to be the starting goaltender. I'll leave that, but he's been playing really well. He has. I'm going to leave it too. Contract is going to play. Bennington's going to be your goalie for the next six years, including this year. They have hitched their wagon to Jordan Bennington, and he's going to be the guy. And he really has, aside from COVID, he's done nothing to lose that job. All right, take it or leave it from the 314. Army's running game will be Missouri's demise in the Armed Forces Bowl. Has been before. Yeah, Mizzou has trouble, and this is different coaching staff, different situation altogether. But, yes, Mizzou has trouble stopping the run, and Army is one of the best running teams in America. So I will take that. I'll take it, too. But they have time to prepare. They do. Yeah, figure things out. Yeah, hopefully. All right, take it or leave it. Patriots end up collapsing with the Bills and Dolphins controlling the AFC East. I'll take that. I'm going to leave that. I'm a believer in these Patriots. I just, Josh Allen, we saw a 60-yard strike the other day from uh, the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback at Alabama. His name escaped. I always think he's Justin Fields, but he's not. It's... uh, the quarterback at Alabama. The right fun. now? Yeah. The Bryce Young? Bryce Young. There you go. Uh, so, yeah, 60 yards to Jamison Williams, I mean, on the mark. Uh-huh. That's a throw that Mac Jones can't make. And I don't think that in today's game, unless you can throw the ball deep, I don't think you can win. We'll see. Yeah, we will. All right, I'm totally taking this one. From the 618. <laughs> College football needs to modify its rules to mirror the NFL, namely pass interference, no clock stoppage after first down, etc. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that, but I do like the college overtime rules. Yeah, they're better. But there was a play the other day in, it, it was in the Alabama game. And they only, it, it would have set up Alabama first and goal but Georgia only winds up getting down to the 45-yard line, the Alabama 45-yard line. I do think that that's a good rule to have. Is if Because if you're beat, if you're in college football and you get beat deep downfield, you just interfere with the guy because it's only a 15-yard penalty. So why not do that rather than take the, in the NFL, the 50-yard penalty? Right. Unless Mac Jones has thrown it. <laughs> or Tua. Or Tua, yeah. <laughs> All right, take it or leave it. The Blues will trade for Brent Burns. I'll leave that. I'm going to leave that too. Brent Burns is 36, 37 years old, still has a lot of money left on that contract. And I just don't see a scenario. And Brent Burns is a nice player, but I don't see a scenario in which the Blues would uh, be interested in him. I'll give you his contract information in one moment. Go ahead. Okay. From the 636, hey guys, take it or leave it. Jock Peterson, Ryan Tapera, or uh, and Joe Kelly. And or, I, I, I was thinking maybe or, but this says and, so maybe all three of them. I'll take it. I love them all. To the Cardinals? Yeah. I would assume. Yep. That that's your bullpen. That's your left-handed <laughs> bench. It, you're, that's probably, you, you have roughly $20 million a year, I think, to spend. And you could probably get those three for roughly $20 million. What do you think the price tag would be on Joe Kelly? 
he just came off, I think, 17 over two. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm thinking two years and nine million, maybe. I was going to say 10. Yeah. But I would love to see Joe Kelly back in St. Louis. Yeah. He personality standpoint, pitching standpoint. Mm-hmm. By the way, Brent Burns is eight million dollars a year through 24, 25. So that just doesn't seem to be something that the Blues would be interested in since I think their highest. Well, if they have an eight million dollar a year player, they only have one of them. So yeah, I don't think that I don't think that's a move. And he's uh, 30, 36 years old. No, I don't think you make that move. And that would be all contingent upon moving Tarasenko. You don't make that move unless you can. And even then, I don't think you even have enough cap space to get that done. No, I'm with you. All right, going back to the NFL, take it or leave it. The Chiefs are for real. I'll take it. I've thought that all year long. Now, it's weird that they only scored one offensive touchdown last night, three field goals, and then the defensive score. They're kind of like the greatest show on turf at the beginning of 01 where they didn't they haven't really figured out how to handle the the cover two and the cover three but they will and they have enough talent you just have to be willing to take what the opposition gives you and you have to be willing to run the ball now and then even though the offense has looked suspect at points this season they have definitely shown signs of their old selves and so has Patrick Mahomes and when you get down to that moment this this is a group of people who've been there before right one thing that Collinsworth made a point about last night, I thought it was interesting. He says sometimes Mahomes makes those sidearm throws when he doesn't have to. Just throw it overhand and be accurate with it. The other thing about the Chiefs is that their defense is playing as well as anybody in football right now. Mm-hmm. Spags has that defense going. So I do believe that they're for real. All right, take it or leave it. There will be at least one upset in the college football playoff. I don't think you're going to have Cincinnati knocking off Alabama. I don't think so either. It's the other game. Now, do you consider Michigan? I was just going to ask that. Who do you consider? The dog in that one? Yeah, I guess. I would have to think so. Even though they're number two. So, yeah, I would say. There's definitely more parity in that matchup, though. I, I, I could absolutely see Michigan beating Georgia. So could I. In a game that's probably like. 16 10 or something like that but would you really consider that a huge upset i wouldn't but yeah that's why i was pausing on that one anytime an an sec team loses is it an upset that's actually a great point (laughs) if the sec goes down it is an upset even if it's if it's a really impressive big 10 team take it or leave it you believe that it will be an sec championship game i'm gonna leave that i like michigan okay i want michigan to win but i think georgia's gonna win after that game this weekend, yeah. though, I don't wonder if if they lost a little something. But I don't think that Michigan can throw it like Alabama. That's why I I think Georgia it only allowed 17 points. Uh, they had well 17 points once, and they allowed more than that in the first half on Saturday. I. I love Georgia's defense, and I think Michigan will have a t- tough time scoring against them. Maybe it's because I'm emotionally down on Georgia. And that, that game this weekend, I'm like, come on, man. We yeah. we want you to beat Alabama. You, you mm-hmm. look like you can do it. And yeah. then the moment arrives and you can't get it done, Georgia. You just disappoint. Can anybody be Alabama? No. <laughs> I, I think if Alabama plays the way they did against LSU and Auburn and Cincinnati plays the way that we think they can, I, I they could upset them. I'm, I'm not kidding. That would be so fun. That would be great. It would be great.
I would love to see a Cincinnati, Michigan national championship. So what I I'm done with reason? the SEC. I'm sick of it. I that's a different segment yeah. though. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted. I, I want to see this for one reason. I I, I don't want to see a six point game. I, I don't want to see good effort, good effort from Cincinnati. I either want to see them win. Or I want to prove once and for all that the group of five is a fraud when they're thinking that they can play with the big boys. I think you'll find out. Yeah, I think Alabama will probably steamroll them. I, I'm, I'm thinking Alabama wins by five touchdowns. The list of talent that Alabama lost after last year and how they've reloaded and are still in the playoff and still a national championship threat, it's... It's sickening what they can do. Especially when you look at what happened with LSU, right? Yes, that's a great point. Uh, LSU is a great program from the same conference, mm-hmm. coming off a national championship, and they couldn't sustain, and their coach is fired two years later, and Saban just does it year after year after year. And that, now the transfer, transfer portal has made it even worse because Jamison Williams, you get him from Ohio State, mm-hmm. and he winds up being your number one receiver at Alabama. That's going to keep happening. The guy's going to play really well, even for Power 5 schools, and they're going to wind up going to Alabama, and Saban's going to have him. And what was the knock on Saban years ago? You couldn't really get the quarterback to get it done. Now yeah. it's it's Tua, it's Mac Jones, it's Bryce Young. It, he just has found a way to get yeah. quarterbacks that are successful and efficient, and it's so frustrating. I'm so sick of seeing Alabama in there. By the way, speaking of the transfer portal, we're a little bit lucky. Take it or leave it, Tyler Beatty would be the starting running back for the Crimson Tide. Oh, I'll take that. I will too. He's incredible. Yeah. We've talked a lot about how underrated nationally he is. Yeah. By the way, Georgia, a seven and a half point favorite over Michigan at the moment. That's the opening odds. Alabama, just a 13 and a half point favorite over Cincy. Hmm. If you want to uh, head on over to the uh, FanDuel Sportsbook and uh, racetrack over in Collinsville, I would uh, lay a few few shillings on Alabama covering <laughs> that for 13 and a half. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up next, our fresh take. This MLB lockout has been brewing for a while, and it's probably going to last a while. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnooks. Get the app that gets you. Download the Schnooks Rewards app today. Five years ago to this day, the last time a collective bargaining agreement was successfully negotiated, I talked with people, and that night they said a labor war is coming. There is going to be a work stoppage in 2021. The fact that that long ago they could see this on the horizon shows that the chasm between the two sides is not something that has just instantaneously come upon us. This is something that's been brewing for a better part of a decade now, and this is the upshot. Uh, Listen, we've been here with Major League Baseball before. The amount of work stoppages seemed like practically every year in the 1970s and early 1980s. But the fact that they've had more than a quarter century of peace to this point really has gone a long way to making people feel almost comfortable. And I think the players, Carl, see this as a necessary reckoning for them to get back what they have lost over the years. 
8.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That's ESPN's Jeff Passan. Five years ago, Jeff Passan was working for Yahoo, and right after the last collective bargaining agreement was reached in 2016, he wrote, quote, this was not a transformative labor deal. Far from it, but a wide swath of people fam familiar with its inner details told Yahoo Sports some version of the same story Thursday. What it lacks in instantaneous impact, it may make up for in historical resonance. Because baseball is barreling toward a potentially nuclear negotiation in 2021, when this current deal expires, that could see a confluence of factors. Massive revenue increases, a growing chasm between big and small markets, continued international strife lead to a far more tortuous, torturous and torturous path toward a deal. This is just the setup for war in 2021, one high-ranking official told Yahoo Sports. And Michelle, even though it appears all quiet on the Western Front, it does seem as if the players and owners are both really dug in for this lockout. And it doesn't seem like either one is interested in compromise or interested in getting to the table to talk about this rationally and to me if you're the owners and we all knew that the owners took the players to the cleaners we were talking about this three years ago two years ago mm -hmm. i believe if the owners had some self-awareness if they as you say could read the room they would have been more conciliatory in 2020 as they worked through all of the pandemic materials to try to get a season in place for 2020 but they weren't they tried to play hardball and they're 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 playing hardball again and it's like they don't care about presenting their product to the customers it's almost as if the owners are only concerned about winning the labor deal and nothing else this is a group of sharks that is going to wait until they can sense blood in the water and they will strike this is not about let's put our egos aside and try to find something that's best for the vitality of our sport or let's protect the players in a certain way so that everyone's happy and we can make the fans happy by not having to deal with this publicly let's do this behind closed doors and and all just find something that works for everyone that's not how this is going to go and if you're the owners and you won so heavily in the last negotiation, why would you think that you would want to concede anything? You are operating mm -hmm. from a place of strength. So the owners are probably looking at this saying, well, we have more in the war chest than they do. We can withstand losing spring training and games. How many of these players can go without game checks? So I think the owners, while they should be the ones to bend or at least come to the table first and give the players and the union um, maybe an olive branch or a peace offering. I don't see that happening. I don't either. And I look at this as greed on the part of the owners. And generally when there is a work stoppage, I say, you know what? The players are making more than they can ever spend and they are not the bosses. The owners are the bosses. But right now the billionaires in this $10 billion a year industry hold 57% of the revenue. Players are making 43% of the revenue. And the players are the product. There is no baseball if we don't have baseball players. I believe this is greed, just unmitigated greed on the part of the owners. And I actually kind of fall on their side here. Not that the players are completely void of blame because there's plenty of blame to go around for the fact that we have a work stoppage here. But it looks to me like owners, they want it to be like it was before 1976, before there was free agency and they don't care about the fans at all. Players just want to play. 
fans just want to go home on a summer night and turn on their their TV and watch baseball. And owners just want to make money. And here's the thing. You've got a bunch of billionaires that are making $5.7 billion. What's the difference for those guys? And I know it's a lot of money. Between $5.7 billion and $5 billion. For a group of 30 owners, what's the difference between split, splitting $5 billion among yourselves or 5.7 among yourselves? For them, relative to their lives, it's a drop in the bucket. But it, what it comes down to is, oh, we have to win. Correct. That we we have to crush the players. We have to crush our employees. That's the way I'm looking at it from an, from an owner's perspective. And if we haven't missed a game yet. If they wind up missing games, it's inexcusable. Because I don't real I don't think that they understand that they're capable of killing the Golden Goose. I was just going to say, if they end up missing games, because I think a lot of fans right now are frustrated and they're annoyed, but they will be easily placed in a place of forgiveness once all of this is over, as long as spring training and the regular season is not disrupted. I think it'll be business as usual. This is what baseball does. But as long as it doesn't affect me personally, we'll be able to look past it. If you mess up spring training, and more importantly, this ends up affecting the regular season, I think that there are baseball fans who have been baseball fans their entire lives that are frankly sick of it. And we talk about this all the time. They have other options from an entertainment and consumption and content standpoint now. And baseball has gotten boring. It really has. We love baseball here in St. Louis because it's part of us. It's so inherently part of us as a community, but I think it's different nationally. It really, really is. And I think baseball is in a very precarious spot right now. And there are people out there in the media, probably in baseball, that say, oh, you'll be back. It's the summer. Whatever we do, you'll be back. But you hit the nail on the head. There are so many other things to do now, and especially with the pandemic, people found other things to do. You still have trouble buying a bicycle. People have no trouble coming home from work and going for a bike ride in the summer after they get home. But people, you still have trouble getting golf clubs. People have no trouble going out to a golf course when it's light until 8.45 at night. And rather than starting watching a baseball game at 7.05, they're out on the golf course. There are so many other things to do that people found during the pandemic. People just hanging out in their backyard. People getting pools installed for the summer. People are utilizing their time in different ways and as you said uh, again so accurately baseball's boring why should you sit down in front of your tv and be bored for three hours we're all addicted to our devices how yep. about esports right for ki for young people yeah i'm just talking about people that are my age yeah. if, if you are in your 20s or if you're in your teens you're going home and hopping on the, the computer or on your Xbox or on your PlayStation. Andrew Marsh is... I can attest to that. He, he's really? in, yeah, somebody oh, absolutely. Who's in that demographic, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, for sure. There's absolutely no doubt. And, and I'm stunned by the lack of self-awareness among are baseball you, owners. Well, you know, one of my other favorite sayings is when people show you who they are, believe them. Mm -hmm. Baseball has shown us time and time again, this is who they are. I believe them. I had no sense that baseball would in any way act differently when this arrived. Look at what happened in the pandemic. Oh, no, I knew that they would, I, yeah. they would show up and they would make fools of themselves right. because that's what they're doing right now. I, I'm just amazed that they don't have somebody to tell them, look, there are other things out there. Your TV ratings are down. Your attendance is down. And it's not just because they didn't have baseball for a while. They have found other things to do. And here's what they're doing. I, I Sure, 
baseball owners are in general a group of old white guys but somebody should be telling them rob manfred knows why their attendance and tv ratings are down you're talking about the guy who called the tr- the the most cherished trophy and the sport a hunk of metal you really think he's the one to tell this group of people to read the room well but at and least have self-awareness he, he's He's in favor of a pitch clock. He's in favor of making his game more exciting. Yes, the the ideas that he has are misguided many times, but at least he understands that his sport is boring. True, but I don't know if he really has a sense of the way baseball is perceived and by the fans. If you're an owner, are you really listening to him? No. Players aren't going to listen to him. If you're an owner, eh, yeah. you know what? Hey, we're America's favorite pastime. The the one thing that baseball play or baseball people, baseball owners have failed to recognize is that from the time they went on strike in 1981, they were America's favorite pastime. They have been passed up as America's. Now it's America's favorite past its prime. It's it, it's base it's football, it's NBA, baseball a lucky third right now and esports stepping to the fore. Other sports are getting up there in terms of popularity. Baseball's got some issues to deal with, and the first thing they need to do is get this thing solved and just be equitable, just be reasonable, and give us our baseball. That's how we're asking. It's not that hard. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that's today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN. Next up, the Blues back in action tomorrow night against the Panthers over at Enterprise Center, and Chris Kerber will preview that one for us and tell us what the Blues need to do to be a little bit better. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is Character and Smallman. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. The Blues booth is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Boardwalk has three convenient locations, Manchester, Crestwood, or St. Peter. Or visit online at boardwalkhardwood.com. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. The Minnesota Wild lead the NHL Central Division, and then the next five teams are separated by two points. The Winnipeg Jets, the Blues, the Predators, and the Colorado Avalanche and Dallas Stars. So you've got a lot of parity in the division. Chris Kerber, the voice of the Blues, joining us now on 101 ESPN. The Blues are getting ready to start a four-game homestand tomorrow night with the Panthers in town. Kerbs, good morning. How are you doing? Randy, I'm awesome. How are you guys today? Everything's good, and I really don't see, I don't know how you view this, I don't see the parity that we see right now a quarter of the way through the season going away in the league or in this division. No, I really don't. And the thing of it is, Randy, is if you don't keep an eye on where things are going from the, uh, uh, if you don't keep an eye on where things are going kind of from the division standpoint, and a couple of fire trucks driving past me, oh. so sorry for the noise there. But no problem. The, I thought uh, maybe they were chasing you, Curtis. to do. No, not chasing me. They're coming from the front. (laughs) Um, The the, the funny thing about this is now you really have to look at the Pacific Division, too, because with the start that Calgary has had and with what Anaheim is doing, right, and and kind of a little bit of of an upside-down, a little bit of an upside-down aspect to that that Pacific Division – if you're not if you're not in the top three right now in your own division, you're not putting the wild card positions in play with those other teams. Which th- th- this leads to some of the craziness of the NHL. Randy, you remember the days? I'm sure you do too, Michelle. Right, where when somebody used the phrase, "Oh, everybody gets in the playoffs and the regular season doesn't matter in the NHL," right? And and you could actually justify that statement. 
Now, now you can't. I mean, and it's been this way for over a decade now, but the part of the grind of the NHL season is the mental grind where you feel like every single game is a must-win, get-in-or-get-out kind of playoff scenario here because the standings are so tight. When I talk to players, they talk as much about the mental grind of a season now as they do the physical grind. Well, and Curbs, adding to that mental grind is when so many of your key players or players in general are either injured or going on the COVID list. I can't believe the Blues are even tied for second in the Central given the amount of players that they've had missing in action at at different points this season. Yeah, I'll tell you what, uh, get your pencil ready for this one. I I woke up this morning and got curious. Yeah, and it was so I woke up with too much time on my hands, basically. (laughs) But I I went back through my scorebook, all right, And, and this... These, these, numbers, these numbers show you exactly where the Blues are, and they kind of give you a calming factor here. All right? In 22 of the 24 games that the Blues have played, they have had the lead or been tied in the third period. Wow. Okay? And in the two games that they weren't, they entered the third period down by one. <laughs> All right? Okay, now here's another one for you. Okay? In the final 10 minutes of the third period, in only two games of the 12 games that the Blues have lost, right, the four in overtime and the, and the, the eight in regulation, right, in only two games in a loss have the Blues not been tied or within one goal in the final 10 minutes of the third period. And in seven of those 12 games, they were tied in the final 12 minutes of the third period. So basically that's a, that's a numerical way of saying this team – has been in every single game this year, right? I mean, it, it's it's been crazy. It's 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 absolutely nuts, kind of the way it's gone. The most they've been down, you know, going into almost the halfway point of a third period in any game has been two, and so and and that's to Michelle's point that that's without some key guys pretty much every single game since the start of the season, except for the one game in Detroit when they finally got Oscar Sundquist back. So. This team's been in there, and it, may, it begs the question, then, what's going on in the third period? And so the first thing, sometimes when games get away from you in the third period, they don't go your way, you look at fitness. I don't believe that fitness is a problem for this team whatsoever. Uh, it, it leads me to think that, look, you've got a team now where, from an offensive standpoint, you're relying on some younger guys. You, you, you definitely need some younger guys to step up defensively, whether that was Jake Wallman, whether that's Nico Mikola right now. Okay, whether that's Scott Perunovic. Okay, so you've got you've got some key guys when you're talking about even Thomas and Cairo and those defensemen I mentioned, right? Or you've relied now for ten games on Dakota Joshua, you know, or Logan Brown's now been in for three or four games. That's the learning curve of how do you win some games late and lock it down, and that has been, I guess, the the challenge for the Blues. But it shows you, Randy, that and, and Michelle, that they have been right there in every single game. Curbs, another aspect to this is goaltending, because when you're paying a goalie big money, you expect him to steal games in the last 10 minutes of games, right? Regardless of who is to blame, you expect the goalie more times than not to make the save to save the game for you. You know, it's a fair point here, and this has been a bit of an enigma season because for example, you look at the, the game against the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, and that, that the Blues lost in regulation down in Tampa, and and you've got Billy Husso playing a terrific game, right, and then gets beat by a slap shot that he sees coming the whole way, right? 
Uh, I mean, so to me, those are the those are the scenarios that do make you question, that do challenge you a little bit. Because while I think you've gotten really good goaltending for the most part throughout this season, there have been those hiccups at the key moments that I would I shouldn't say have cost you a game, but have impacted the game. And so, yep, I, I don't think you can look at that scenario and say that uh, the goaltending isn't without you know some level of of culpability on this too, you know, but the goaltending, and here's the thing, Randy, I mean, that's the goaltending hasn't been bad enough where you're going, Oh man, they got a problem in net. That's not the issue here. Uh, but the goaltending kind of like some of the team play in the third period has been just not good enough to seal the deal at times. Yeah. I could see, and I could hear Craig Berube using the old Bill Parcells line that we use on this show a lot. Don't tell me about the labor. Just show me the baby. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's a, dude, <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to use that. Uh, I'm going to use that. Um, yeah, listen, this is this is what's so great about this head coach, and you guys know this. Like, he just doesn't mince words. No, you know, I asked him. I asked him before before uh, Logan Brown's first game, right? I. I I gotta quit saying the word right. Panger and I were talking about that. That's my crutch word. So anytime I do that, some I, I gotta I gotta make a donation or something like that to uh, the Big Brothers or something. But they, um, I asked I asked him about Logan Brown, and he said, "Look, he's a big guy. He's got good hands. He's got skill. We just need him to play within his strength, use his body, and then hold the puck in the zone and make the plays when they're there." I mean, that's about it. Like. If you think about it, it's 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 coloring, it's painting by numbers, isn't it? I mean, that's but but it but it's so true and accurate. And what has Logan Brown done? He's come in here in three games, albeit the first couple games two somewhat limited minutes. But in that last game, he and Dakota Joshua were the best two forwards with Ivan Barbashev yeah. through the first period. All right, so oh, I almost did it then there again too. <laughs> I'm learning. So the, the the fun part, you know, the the fun part is this guy. He's just very direct. So he has said to us at times, "Look, every now and then it wouldn't hurt us to get an extra save here and there." I mean, that's putting it on the goaltenders too. So um, I'll, I'll tell you, like, it's you're kind of encouraged, though, aren't you? I mean, you're in every single game right now, yeah. And this is against some of the top teams in the league. So you figure, okay, if you can, and I mean, you still have to do it. If you can figure out that part of the third period, this this team could be one of the hardest teams to beat in the league. No doubt. They, they have a chance to be really good. And once they're – Michelle and I talked about it earlier. Once they're together, they'll be fun. Curbs, I will be at the rink tomorrow. I'm actually filling in for Alex on Saturday. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take in the entire pregame experience tomorrow. So I will see you at the rink tomorrow night. I can't wait to see you guys, and uh, this will be a fun, another fun week of hockey, without a doubt. That's going to be great. Four-game homestand starting tomorrow night against Florida, 6 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN. Curbs, have a great day. All right, you too. You and Michelle have an awesome week. Thanks. See you later. That is the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, joining us on 101 ESPN. Next up, the first fight of the week is coming your way on Carriker and Smallman. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Character.
It is 8.37 in the morning here in St. Louis. That time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And it's time for the Monday edition of The Fight. Brendan is with us this morning. How you doing, Brendan? I'm doing pretty good. Just hanging out at the Bullpen Sports Grill in Lettington, getting some breakfast. Oh, I love it. What's the order? Uh, French toast and scrambled eggs. It's their specialty. Oh, I love it. Sounds like a hearty breakfast. You know what that is, Brendan? That's brain food. Oh, I know. I love it. Well, hopefully it helps you in the fight today. And, it, you know, this is not an indictment on your skills, but you might need it. Andrew, can you give us those stats again that you had in your Sports Center update? Randy's been on quite the roll lately. Yeah, and his oh, last, oh, yeah, his, his last uh, 16 questions, he has 12 of them correct. Mm, 12 of 16. Brendan, are you intimidated? Oh, no, not at all. I love it. Good. Well, we are pulling for you. Good luck. All right. Thank you. Question number one for Brendan. Who was the first person to repeat as Cy Young Award winner? Was it Sandy Koufax, Jim Palmer, or Bob Gibson? Let's go Sandy Koufax. Brendan, question number two. Who was the first goalie in the NHL to score a goal? Was it Martin Brodeur, Billy Smith, or Ron Hextall? Uh, oh, man, that's a tough one. Uh, can I get the choices again? Yes, we have Martin Broder, Billy Smith, or Ron Hextall. Let's go Billy Smith. Question number three, Brendan. Which college head coach was the first former assistant to beat Nick Saban in the Alabama Crimson Tide? Was it Kirby Smart, Lane Kiffin, or Jimbo Fisher? Lane Kiffin. All right, Brendan, last question. Which famous MLB pitcher starred as himself and collected the final out against the Minnesota Twins in the baseball movie Little Big League? <laughs> Was it Greg Maddox, Randy Johnson, or Roger Clemens? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Randy Johnson. All right, checking our score here. Brendan bringing the heat on a Monday. Randy's on his way in. Little Big League, classic baseball film. Looking up the year, 1994, that one. 1994. Randy, as you're getting set up, before you say good morning to Brendan, I want Andrew to read these stats to you because he's a Nails producer, obviously. Yes, and he's been he keeping track of not only your victories, but the questions that you get right. So, Andrew, please let Randy know. Wow, this is really getting detailed. I like this. Randy, your last 16 questions, uh-huh. so the last four fights, <laughs> you have answered 12 of them correctly. The average Joe listener, only five. Ooh. So, Brendan's going to have to bring the heat today. Mm-hmm. He might have. He might have, Randy, just to let you know. Okay. So, Randy, say good morning to Brendan. Good morning, Brendan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Randy, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. No problem. I appreciate the opportunity. Are you ready, Randy? Ready. Question number one. Who was the first person to repeat as Cy Young Award winner? Okay, the Cy Young Award has been around, I believe, since the 50s. I think I'm going to go with... um, I think I think I'm going to go with the uh, Okay. Is it going to be Don Newcomb or is it going to be Sandy Koufax? That's going to be my question. I am going to go with Sandy Koufax. Okay. Question number 2, who is the first goalie in NHL to score a goal? First goalie to score a goal in the National Hockey League. 
uh, again. This is going to be either Billy. Uh, it's got to be Billy Smith. Billy Smith of the Islanders. Okay. Question number three for Randy. Which college head coach was the first former assistant to beat Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide? First former Saban assistant to beat him. Yes. That was uh, Jimbo Fisher this year, Texas A&M. All right, Randy. Which famous MLB pitcher starred as himself <laughs> and collected the final out against the Minnesota Twins in the baseball movie Little Big League? The only guy I remember being in the movie is the big unit, Randy Johnson. Ooh. So I'm going to go with him. Final answer? Final answer. This was an incredibly well-fought Monday edition of the fight. <laughs> Was it Brendan or was it Randy? Andrew, ring that bell. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Brought no. to you by Optical Expressions. <laughs> providing St. Louis with top quality eye care and eyewear since 1997. <laughs> no! <here it> is. <laughs> Oh, Brendan, you knew it was coming. You knew it was coming. Oh, I know. As soon as I answered that third question. Oh. Brendan, you got three correct. It was the third one that got you, but Randy, all four correct today. Without the lifeline, too. The jack. But Brendan, you did a great job. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening, Brendan. Hope you enjoy that breakfast. Always. Okay, so we do have a bit of a controversy brewing on this fight, but it doesn't matter because both of you guys guessed the same on the question and allegedly got it correct. So it wouldn't have changed the outcome, but we are doing a little bit of research behind the scenes. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll run through the answers while we do that. So Sandy Koufax was the first person to repeat as Cy Young Award winner in 65 and 66. Billy Smith was the first goalie in the NHL to score a goal in 1979. However, we get a text from Jamie Rivers, our teammate, mm-hmm. of course, in the fast lane, who says that Billy Smith was the first goalie credited with a goal, but Ron Hextall was the first to actually score a goal. So we're looking that up. So, yeah, we have it right here. So he played for the Islanders in 1979, November 28th. He was given credit because of an own goal. Ah. So he was the last player mm-hmm. to touch the puck. It went in the net. Technically, he scores. This technicalities, he, you hate them. I say we go with it. But, Jamie, thank but you yes. for that yeah. that note. Thank nugget. you for having our backs. I appreciate you, and I appreciate you listening. So Jimbo Fisher this season was the first former assistant to beat Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. Fifth attempt. Fifth attempt got it done. And Randy Johnson starred as himself and collected the final out against the Minnesota Twins in the baseball movie Little Big League. Randy, you remember that, 1994? Oh, who could forget it? Yeah, collected $12 million at the box office. $12 million? Wow, Seems blockbuster. criminally low. Billy, win, 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 Billy Haywood, the Minnesota Twins, mm-hmm. took over as yep. uh, the owner and then the manager. Thank you, <laughs> Michelle. Thank you, Andrew. And uh, thanks for tuning in to 101 ESPN. Coming up, it's bowl season. And what was that? Uh, it's, it's, it says it's bowl, S-Z-N, bowl yeah. season. It's like the old uh, Cubs, and I think Cardinals had him in the uh, in the minors. Matt, I had a feeling that Randy might not be. <laughs> it is, in fact, bowl season, but say that again. Susan. <laughs> is it not? It, when it, text in 65780. How do you pronounce S-Z-N? <laughs>
balls. I'm, I'm crying. <laughs> um, you know, I think most people say season. Well, I'm just going by the way it's spelled, Michelle. <laughs> I need you now to post on social media that it's hoodie season or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Correct. <laughs> we'll give you our favorite matchups and bowl games next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, we know the bowl schedule for, I wonder if it's still Capital One Bowl Week on ESPN. But part of the bowl season will be Wednesday, December 22nd, the Armed Forces Bowl down in Fort Worth at Amon G. Carter Stadium, Missouri, taking on Army. Now, this is a very creative offensive mind in Eli Drinkwitz, albeit with limited skill position talent. And by the way, Eli Drinkwitz said yesterday that he is having a wide-open quarterback competition. We don't know who's going to play quarterback for Mizzou against Army. It's just like training camp now, where you'll you'll have Connor Bazelock, you'll have Brady Cook, you'll have uh, Tyler Macon, and one of those three will start the game. But in terms of the, the thrill factor of this game, Michelle, it's not very high for me. Not very high for me either, but can I give you an early sick of it? I know we sure. do that on Thursdays, mm-hmm. but I hate that this game is scheduled the same day as the bragging rights game. Yeah, it kind of stinks, doesn't it? It really does. For, for Mizzou fans that maybe were interested in going to that game, this is one of the best things on the St. Louis sports calendar is the bragging rights game or maybe having to decide, do I really want to dedicate my whole day to all of this or is there conflicting times? It's going to be, it's going to stink. I think Illinois fans are going to probably want to attend the bragging rights game more than Mizzou fans. I think they usually do, right? Based on the results yeah, historically. I, w- I would say so. Yeah. Let me give you a couple that I'm interested in. I've watched Jackson State, coached by Deion Sanders, play three or four times this Mm -hmm, year. mm -hmm. Not whole games, but I love watching them play. Deion Sanders' son is the quarterback. He's really good. And that game is the Celebration Bowl. South Carolina State against Jackson State. That'll take place in Atlanta on uh, December 18th. That'll be among the first games played. I just, I I love watching a team coached by Deion Sanders. So do I. He's obviously got a ton of personality. He's um, in the news a lot with this team mm-hmm. for uh, not only their play on the field, but things that he's done off the field mm-hmm. to help um, educate them as young men. I don't know if you saw any of that stuff, yeah. but it, it, really interesting. Um, and yeah, I think that's going to be a fun game. I'm definitely going to be tuned into that one. I don't know that I could care less about a game between Utah State and Oregon State, but I am interested to see what Jimmy Kimmel does with the Jimmy Kimmel LA Bowl that'll take place on that same day at SoFi Stadium, and that game will be on ABC. I don't even know if Jimmy Kimmel can get me to tune into that. Really? Well, he bought naming that, rights, I'm and I'm assuming that he'll have at least a fun halftime show, right? Probably. So, Michelle, I have to believe that you will have particular interest in the Frisco Bowl because you know how dangerous UTSA is as they take on San really? Diego State. That's what we're going to do here? That is just, just throw some salt in the UTSA wound? <laughs> I think they went undefeated, but they didn't get into a uh, into the Final four. That was a tough matchup for Illinois. And Brandy, they um they were in the process of finding themselves at the time. Yeah, and it they, was Art Satowski's, I believe might might have been his first game. It was his first in, start. Yeah, so that's it was a it was a 
a tough loss. Yeah. December Illinois. 23rd. I'm intrigued by, and feel free to weigh in here if you see any games that you're particularly I'm, interested in. The ones that I'm interested in are on the back page, okay? okay? I want to get towards New Year's Day. Those I, are the. I'm really only interested in, unless it's a local team, and I am interested mm-hmm. in, in watching Dion's team play, but uh, give me the big yeah. matchups. I do want to see Florida get beat by Central Florida. I just hope that happens in the December 23rd Gasparilla Bowl. I would have liked it better had Dan Mullen been the head coach at Florida to get beat. But I just, I, and that's at Raymond James Stadium. It's two Florida schools playing in the Gasparilla Bowl. I, I just, I, I want to see Florida lose because I don't like the way that if they have a bad stretch, they get rid of a coach. They just, they, they don't think that adversity should be part of what their process is. Well, that statement applies to a lot of college football programs, it does. not just Florida. They're not unique to that. No, they aren't. And UCF has had their stretches of being annoying, too. Come on. Oh, the, yes, they have. They have a championship banner up in their stadium. Correct. So I don't know which which program. This, this might be the Annoyance Bowl yeah. on December 23rd. And before we get to the back page, you've got a shootout in the making between Texas Tech and Mississippi State in the Liberty Bowl in Memphis. And by the way, the Liberty Bowl is a fun game to go to if your team is ever in it. If you're a Texas Tech or Mississippi State fan, that takes place at 545 St. Louis time, December 23rd down in Memphis, Tennessee. Memphis, Tennessee. Okay, yep. so let's get to the other games, the okay. ones that we can actually I, can I give really, really care about. The, a couple that I like just because I like them. I like anything named after Cheez-Its including the cheese it Bowl. What are your thoughts on the extra toasty Cheez-Its? Not a fan. Really? You no, classic I, guy? S- standard, totally. Okay. How about you? I kind of think the extra toasty are fire. Okay. Yeah, just saying. And then you've got the Duke's Mayo Bowl, and Duke's Mayo is really good. I had some over the weekend on a turkey sandwich, as a matter of fact. Do we have any Duke's Mayo left? We had some, right? And uh, Yes, we did. We still had some Duke's Mayo left. Nice. And then, uh, yeah, we can move on now to the back page. I'm more of a Miracle Whip girl. I love Miracle Whip. <laughs> But Duke's Mayo is good. Recommended by our buddy Mike Johnson over at Sugar Fire. He said, you got to have Duke's Mayo. Oh, not Hellman's, huh? No. And that salt. We're Mayo Wars you, here. You talk about fire. That salt that you guys recommended, you and he both. Oh, the Malden Sea Salt? It's fantastic. I have some in a bowl that's right by my stove because I use it all the time. And it, it takes almost any dish from a 5 to a 10. It's that. It's makes chef's a, kiss. Makes a huge difference. Yes, it really does. All right. Let's talk about Michigan and Georgia at Hard Rock Stadium, Miami Gardens, Florida. New Year's Eve. It's the Orange Bowl. Looking forward to this matchup, more so than Alabama-Cincinnati. I know that there's a lot of intrigue surrounding Cincinnati Mm -hmm. and the whole group of five conversation, but I think Michigan-Georgia is the better matchup. I think that both of these these programs have a lot to prove, and I'm really looking forward to that game. Of all the the bowl games, that one is circled for me, number one. And I haven't been able to get in touch with Dan Deardorff yet, but I hope that he makes his way down to Miami for this. I can't imagine that he wouldn't. Final season. Yeah. Big game. Yeah, you'd, you'd want Dan Deardorff on the call. Right. And then Alabama and Cincinnati is the later game on New Year's Eve. That Or the earlier game, really. That's at, at 2.30, the Cotton Bowl Classic down at Jarrow World. I'm also very much looking forward to the Fiesta Bowl. Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, Marcus Freeman mm-hmm. um, being the head coach there. Obviously, Notre Dame feels a certain type of way about Brian Kelly leaving. That's going to be an interesting game. I was thinking about this last night for some reason when I couldn't sleep at like 3 in the morning. But is I Oklahoma, couldn't sleep last night either. Weird, weird, weird times. Weird. Is Oklahoma State the standard bearer in the new Big 12? Or is it Baylor? Ooh, good question. You've got Kansas, Kansas State, Baylor, Texas Tech, uh, West Virginia. You're going to have Cincinnati and Houston. I mean, it's really not great. 
You know, my initial thought was Baylor, but Oklahoma State has been right there. So I think you can make an argument for either. I'm going to go with Oklahoma State then because they've been good for longer. They... Baylor had that lull. It wasn't their fault. And they be- had the scandal. Bryles, yeah. yeah. And they've come back, obviously, with uh, Matt uh, Rule and now with uh, the, the great job that Dave Aranda has done. And then you've got the games after the uh, New Year's Eve games that take place on the 1st of December, A&M and Wake Forest in the Gator Bowl, Washington State, Miami, yeah, Sun Bowl, uh, Central Michigan and Boise State. That's one that uh, our friend Anthony Stalter will have particular interest in because he's a Central Michigan alum. He's very proud of Anthony or uh, Antonio Brown. Fire up chips. Yep. Penn State and Arkansas, eh, January 1st in the Outback Bowl. Iowa, Kentucky, eh, Citrus Bowl. <laughs> Fiesta Bowl, Oklahoma State and Notre Dame, as you mentioned. That one will be interesting. Rose Bowl, Ohio State and Utah, that'll be fun. I think that uh, Ohio State will probably roll them. Ole Miss and Baylor will be great because you have Lane Kiffin going against Dave Aranda's defense. And then LSU and Kansas State will play in the Texas Bowl. And then uh, (laughs) Lucas Oil Stadium, the championship game. I hope, Michelle, that in the championship game, you have Hassan Haskins, who will be the most important guy getting the ball Uh in his hands for Michigan, against Alabama, who will have Jamison Williams from Cardinal Ritter, and that will be the most important guy for Alabama, getting the ball into his hands. So you could have St. Louis versus St. Louis Eureka against Cardinal Ritter in the national championship game. And we'd love to see those local products on the big stage having such great success and being such difference makers in those games. But don't you think when you see guys like that on that stage, don't you think, isn't there a little part of you that's like, man, it would be fun if they would have stayed home? Either Illinois or Missouri. No mm-hmm. doubt about it. It's the first thing that crosses my yep, mind. Hopefully Mizzou and Illinois will do a better job of keeping those premier guys in the St. Louis area and uh, just within a, a short drive. By the way, Jamison Williams, he goes from Ohio State to Alabama and it becomes Alabama's best receiver. That's the transfer portal for you. And that's when you know you're really good. Yeah. That your best offensive and best defensive players are both out of the transfer portal. So bowl season starting uh, <laughs> on December 17th, Capital One Bowl Week on ESPN. That's, by the way, the first one, the Bahamas Bowl, Middle Tennessee State in Toledo. If you are getting selected for a bowl, Bahamas Bowl, not a bad not a bad draw. No, you won't have any fans in the stands. Doesn't matter. But if you're a kid and you get the swag bag and you get to hang out in the Bahamas for a couple days, not bad at all. Next up, today's big thing. What should the Cardinals look, uh, look like once spring training starts? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Here for St. Louis. Here to help you achieve more with your money. It's 9.04 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, great to have you with us. And after the lockout is over, whenever that comes, Michelle, the Cardinals are going to have to fill out their roster. And they're going to have to probably do so through, through free agency. And thinking about the idea that they have approximately $20 million to spend. Do you have ideas as to what specifically you'd like to see the Cardinals do? I think the first thing that I would like them to do and that they probably will do is go ahead and look at that relievers market. It seems like that is what they have circled as their next area of opportunity to make their team better. 
it doesn't seem like the shortstop market as as much as many people would like them to go out and get a shortstop and um, make a move there. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think they're going to go straight to the relievers aisle at the store. And they've lost Luis Garcia. He is now a member of the Padres, two years, $7 million. But there are a ton of relief pitchers out there. And I think that's one thing that we have to keep in mind is that people talk about how relievers are the most fungible aspect of Major League Baseball. And sometimes guys have bad years. Sometimes guys have good years. And one guy that we've kind of glommed on to here in St. Louis, and it makes sense, is Joe Kelly because we've had him before. He fits the Cardinals' mold of being able to close or pitch in the eighth or the seventh. And he's pitched in big games in the postseason before. And if you're the Cardinals, at least if you're a Cardinal fan, I love having that personality in the clubhouse, too. I was just going to say, as much as Joe Kelly brings on the field, I think his personality off the field is why we as fans have maybe a little bit more of a connection with him. He's so energetic. He's so fun. He's wearing a mariachi jacket. We, <laughs> we love Joe Kelly. He would It would be great to see him return to St. Louis. Another player the Cardinals have apparently shown interest in, according to Derek Gould at stltoday.com, is Archie Bradley. He's been around the block a little bit, Arizona, Cincinnati, last year Philadelphia. But he's another guy, even though he hasn't pitched to the level of success that Joe Kelly has, Archie Archie Bradley seems to be a, a guy that, in my opinion, because you have Reyes and Gallegos down there to close, that he could get, be a really good fit for you in the seventh or eighth inning. And then outside of relievers, obviously you're looking for that extra bat off yeah. the bench, yeah. probably in the DH role. And by the way, before we get off of the bullpen, do you are you convinced that the Cardinals need another lefty reliever from outside the organization. They're going to have Cabrera. He's going to be their leverage guy. Mm-hmm. You have McFarland. He's their double play guy. That's right. Do you lo- and they've signed a couple of guys last year during the course of the the season that could wind up being members of the bullpen. But I like the idea of a guy who's not on the roster yet, Matthew Libertor being in the bullpen for 2022. That's exactly the name I was thinking of as you were laying that out. I would imagine that we're going to see him at some point, and that's probably the role that we're going to see him in. And I would rather the Cardinals bring him up, get him that big league seasoning, and get him moving in this organization. Mm-hmm. I think fans would be more interested in seeing Matthew Libertor get that spot than bringing in someone outside the organization as well. Yeah, and last year they did have uh, the, the guy that they signed was Brandon Waddell. So there are some guys out there in free agency that I don't think would be as efficient f- with the use of their dollars as Libertor would. One other name I want to toss out there among the right-handers, guy who lives here, married a St. Louis girl, Ian Kennedy, who's pitched really well out of the bullpen ever since he was moved to the bullpen. I'd like to see the Cardinals pursue him as well. All right, let's move to that bench because you got to figure that one of the shortstops is going to be a bench player. Figure if you have five bench players. And by the way, the Cardinals might need a DH too. We aren't sure about that. But you know Kisner's going to be on the bench. Mm -hmm. You know that Sosa is going to be on the bench. And I'm kind of figuring that Newt is going to be on the bench. Although I don't know that that's the best fit. I kind of think he's going to be there. I would like to see him get that opportunity. He didn't get a ton of time last year, but the times that we did see Lars Newt bar, I I liked what I saw out of him. And I would like to see him get more of a chance. There's not going to be a ton of opportunity for him, but I would like him to be a bench guy. And if you have the designated hitter, he's even a better fit as a, a guy that could play a couple of times a week and let him get his feet wet as a bench player at the major league level. So let's start with DH. Is there a DH that you're in love with? 
you know that my dream scenario is Nick Castellanos. Yes. I would I would love for the Cardinals to bring him in. I don't know if the price tag is going to be palatable for them. I don't know if coming here is something that would interest him, even though he loves Yachty. We know that. Mm-hmm. He says Yachty could punch him in the face, and he would say thank yeah. you. So, I mean, maybe that's something for him. But I think another name that obviously is intriguing to me and a lot of other people is Kyle Schwarber. That's my guy. I think he makes all the sense in the world. And maybe to go a little bit lower in terms of price and production would be Mitch Moreland because there will be a lot of teams that are interested in Schwarber. So maybe you go get a left-handed bat like Moreland. My preference would obviously be Kyle Schwarber, but I don't know that the Cardinals will want to swim in those financial waters once a bidding war starts for him. Yeah, they they tend to have a financial plan, and it leans on the conservative side, and they stick to it. BK and Ferrario for most of the season talked about J.D. Martinez also. He's... An interesting guy. He's 36 years, 34 years old now. But man, he's been a really good hitter for a long time. So that wouldn't bother me either. So we're both on the Kyle Schwarber bandwagon. I hate that we're having this conversation and we don't know when the bell's going to be rung Mm -hmm. for teams to get back into action. I hate that it could be January. It could be February. We could be talking April. Who knows? I hate that baseball has put us in this position. You have to be able and ready to dive in. Once this thing is over, you have to be making calls to agents saying, okay, here's our offer because we're starting training, spring training in a day. So here's our offer for your guy. You better have your call sheet ready, your list of priorities ready, because as soon as that bell sounds, it's go time. We talked about Joe Kelly for the bullpen in part because he's had the big moments. That's another reason that I'm a fan of of Jock Peterson. His brother is a hitting coach in the Cardinal organization. Mm -hmm. He is a left-handed bat. He could play the outfield for you on those odd occasions. He could be a DH for you. Your outfield is set. Your infield is set. So if he is a guy that could be your fourth outfielder, fifth outfielder if Newt is your fourth, and you can rotate him in as a left-handed bat, I'm a fan of bringing in the Pearls. And the Burgundy Boys. Mm -hmm. He loves wine, which would be great. The thing about Jack Peterson and Kyle Schwarber, too, that I like, and this is lower on the list of things that are appealing to me about those guys, but both of them have had big postseason moments. Right. And when you look at this Cardinals team, if you really expect them to be a team that contends for the division and hopefully for a World Series in 2022, I want to bring in guys who have been there before. I want to bring in guys that I know when they're on the biggest stage and the pressure is on and the lights are the brightest that they can deliver, that they're unfazed by those moments. The Cardinals we know are going to be judicious. They're going to be responsible with their expenditures. I'm not going to say frugal, but that's why I think a guy like Michael Conforto, who's an interesting player, but is a Boris guy, I don't think he fits into the Cardinal plans. I think the names that we've brought up for bats, for bench bats, are ones that fit. And by the way, the Cardinals really don't have a backup first baseman either. So if you can get a guy that can wear the glove over to first base when when Goldie needs a day off from there for those 10 games during the season. (laughs) Minimal amount. That would be another nice thing to have for the Cardinals. So there you have it. Hopefully this day that they start signing free agents will come sooner rather than later, and we'll start being able to talk about transactions again because that week beforehand was, was really, really fun. Yeah, come on, baseball. Yeah. 
That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And you can join us in uh, getting into the holiday spirit by donating to this year's Carriker and Smallman 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser supporting Operation Food Search. Donate at least $25 online between now and December 13th, and you'll receive a complimentary 101 ESPN T-Shirt, a koozie, and a sticker as a gift for your donation. Thanks to our presenting sponsors of this year's 12 Days of T-Shirts campaign, American Standard Heating and Cooling Contractors, and McBride Homes. Find all the details on this year's 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser now at 101ESPN.com. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. We're going to play a little start one, bench one, cut one on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Character and Smallman. Solid athlete, solid arm. Start one. Warm up. You're going in. Bench one. Mediocre. Hit the shower. Cut one. You're off the team. I do head. What? It's start one, bench one, cut one on Character and Smallman. Start one, bench one, cut one. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Michelle and I will have ours first, and then we will react to yours. And Andrew Marsh will provide you with uh, or provide us with your start one, bench one, cut one ideas. Okay, Michelle, you have the opportunity to look at trips with no COVID restrictions. You just get to make a trip. Okay. To three, one of three bowl games. You can go to the Orange Bowl in Miami. You can go to the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans, or you can go to the Fiesta Bowl in Phoenix. Start one, bench one, cut one. Okay. And by the way, I left out the Rose Bowl in Pasadena with the knowledge that I have. With the knowledge that you have? Well, you would have cut Pasadena. You would have cut Southern California, would you have not? Probably, yes. Well, I don't know. I do have a special affection for the Rose Bowl. Oh, yeah, true. You know. Big Ten, yeah. Um, okay. I'm going to cut the Fiesta Bowl in Phoenix. Mm. A lot of people love Phoenix. I've had good times there. Not my favorite spot. Okay. I am going to... mm, This is tough. I love New Orleans. I love Miami. Oh, man, Randy. You know what? I am going to bench the Sugar Bowl, and I'm going to start the Orange Bowl. Because not only am I going to Miami, but that's the matchup I want to see. Michigan, Georgia. I am actually exactly opposite of you. I am starting the Fiesta Bowl. I am benching the Sugar Bowl. And I am cutting the Orange Bowl. Really? Yeah. Not a Miami guy. Among those three, no. Now, if it was the the Quick Lane Bowl that was in there rather than the Fiesta Bowl, then I'd cut the Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit. <laughs> oh, man. You know what I'd like to go to sometime is the uh, the Pinstripe Bowl. And now they have a Fenway Bowl, too, on the I same day. That. They have the Fenway Bowl and the Pinstripe Bowl at Yankee Stadium. You've been to Fenway, right? Yeah, love it. It's awesome. It'd be fun for a football game, too. It would. It definitely would. Okay, Randy, start one, bench one, cut one. Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow. Young quarterback edition. I am going to start Justin Herbert. The game, Michelle, has officially turned the corner, and the drop-back quarterback is no longer going to be a thing in the NFL. 
So I'm going to bench Kyler Murray, and I'm going to cut Joe Burrow. I have the exact same thing, and I hate cutting Joe Burrow. I do too. But when you look at – and you have to go all the way back to Randall Cunningham. But then you go from Randall Cunningham – and Michael Vick watches him play as a youngster. Michael Vick winds up being the first pick in the draft. And then so many kids watched Michael Vick play, and that became their guy. He was, It was like a video game. And now you, you've had Cam Newton, and you've had Colin Kaepernick, and you have Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson. And the game is going further and further that direction towards RG3 was that guy for a while, towards the running quarterback. And we aren't going back. We aren't going back to the dropback guy because the pro game has – emulated the college game and that's where we are now and it's pretty cool it's pretty fun to watch those super athletic guys that can run that can also throw because i think there were a lot of times over the years walter payton could really throw but they never would have used him at quarterback because he ran too well. Well, mm-hmm. now you can run a guy that plays quarterback. All right, your tech 65780. Andrew, what do you got? Uh, yes, yeah, sticking with football. Now that the NFL is starting to play games on Saturday, start one, bench one, cut one. Thursday night football, Monday night football, or this Saturday NFL football? I'm cutting Saturday football. Saturday is for college football. Get out of here, NFL. I'm going to bench Thursday night football and start Monday night football. Even though the slate sometimes leaves something to be desired, it's still it's still Monday night football. It's definitely the best of the three. When I was a youngster growing up, until they stopped doing Saturday football for a long time, this was the start of the holiday season. When you were watching the NFL and it was snowing outside mm-hmm. and you're you're just sitting in a dark room with the TV watching Saturday afternoon football, snow games. It was great. The, the Budweiser Christmas TV commercial dude, with the Clydesdales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, it, maybe it's just because it's a feel-good thing for me. Saturday afternoon football, I'm starting. I'm benching Monday night football and Michelle... The only reason I'm benching it and not cutting it is because of Peyton and Eli. Yeah. <laughs> True. And They're then very I'm, entertaining. I'm, I'm cutting Thursday because I can live without it very easily. And the games usually are terrible. Yeah. It, it's been better this year. Next year, I wonder. Next year, the Thursday night games are going to be exclusively on Amazon Prime. And by the way, Al Michaels apparently is moving to Amazon to do those games on Thursday night. But that's what the NFL thinks of them is that we don't need to put them on free TV or we don't need to put them on a a mainstream platform. We can put them on Amazon Prime. So that's what they think of Thursday nights. But I would argue, is Amazon Prime a mainstream platform now? How many people do you know that don't have Prime? Pretty much everybody seems to have it, yeah. You know, so right. it is it is just as accessible as other networks now. Yeah, but there are some people out there that aren't paying for Amazon Prime. But there are some people out there who've cut their cord and they're not getting regular but, TV. But right now, the Thursday night games are on Fox, mm-hmm. Big Fox, so free TV. So if you have a $12 antenna, you can watch it there. Well, Randy, you mentioned Christmas, so we have a start one, bench one, cut one from the 314 Christmas. George Clooney, by the way, did the Budweiser commercials. He was the voice of Budweiser commercials. It was great with that voice. Holiday greetings from Budweiser. It was great. Sorry about that. Oh, you're good. Christmas movie edition, Home Alone 1 and 2, Mm. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Says 1966, the 1966 version. So the animated version. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. And then uh, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, Cut Charlie Brown easily. No doubt. (laughs) 
Home Alone is a staple. And the Grinch kind of reminds me of Stan Kroenke, so I don't want to watch it as much as I used to. Mm -hmm. He is the Grinch. Yeah, but at the end, the Grinch's, spoiler alert, the Grinch finds... His heart grows. Love, and his heart grows, yeah. That is not happening to Stan. So it's actually not like Stan Kroenke. No, but the first 25 minutes are. Yeah, for sure. I start Home Alone 1 and 2. I bench the Grinch, and I easily cut Charlie Brown Christmas, which I've never liked. I'm with you, and why wouldn't you... First of all, Home, Home Alone 1 and 2 are the two best films on this list, but why wouldn't you select that? Because you're getting two films for the price of one. You're you getting are. two bangs for your buck mm-hmm. here. Maybe we throw, like, Elf in there or Christmas Story. Ooh, Elf is Does that change great. the game? Christmas it does. Christmas Story, also great. But Elf, Elf would be the, my start. So, okay, so Home we've got Elf, Elf, Home Alone, and Christmas Story. The Wet Bandits. starting Elf. I'm benching Home Alone. I love it. And I am cutting Christmas Story. Which gonna, is, I think Danny Mac's favorite is Christmas Story. Christmas Story is great, but I, I wonder if I didn't OD on it because you get 24 hours of a Christmas Story mm-hmm, on TBS. True. So I feel like we've seen it so many times. Maybe it's oversaturation. So I'm going to cut a Christmas Story, even though it's great. Which movie do you think is more quotable? Elf or Home Alone 1? Elf. I don't know. Buzz, your girlfriend, Wolf. Yeah, but congratulations, you did it. <laughs> World's best cup of coffee. Yeah. Thanks, Mr. Norwell. <laughs> Bye, buddy. I hope you find your dad. First, I traveled through the seven levels of the candy cane forest, past the sea of twirly, swirly gumdrops. You then I walked through place. the Lincoln Tunnel. <laughs> see, okay. So it must be out. Oh, you see lots of raised pizzas, but the real one's on 11th. <laughs> <laughs> All right. From the 618, start one, bench one, cut one. Blues defense edition, Pronger, McKinnis, Petrangelo. Don't do this to us. Okay. This is really tough. Well, I'm going to, uh, it's easy for me to cut the guy who's not in the Hall of Fame, even though he did captain the Blues to a Stanley Cup I was just going to say, he's not in the Hall of Fame, but he's the first guy to hoist the cup in Blues history. How do you cut that guy? I just did. And he's not here anymore, so. Right. I am going to, and this is by a sliver, sliver, but I'm doing it because Al McInnes was one of the greatest offensive defensemen in the history of the game. I'm starting chopper. I'm benching prongs. Don't chop at my ankles, prongs. Don't slash me. And then I'm going to cut Petro. Wow. I... You know what? You go ahead and you start Chopper. I'm going to start Prongs and feel good about it. You should feel good about it. You can't go wrong with either one of those guys. I don't know that the Blues have ever had a guy individually that controlled a game as much as Chris Pronger did. I have seen him in person. I cannot imagine how imposing he was on skates. Unbelievable. He, He was awesome. He was great. So, And I've said, it's only by a sliver, but... Al was better in the offensive end. And Prongs probably was better in the defensive end. If this, if this was a draft and you picked one of those guys, I'd be thrilled that the second one fell to me. Oh, yeah. Hey, Whoever it is, if you'd you, be thrilled. If I have the third pick and I get Petro, I'm thrilled, yeah. right? Right. Now, here's one thing about Pronger, and I love this, and, and it's one of the most remarkable things I ever saw in sports. Before it was three-on-three, three, hockey overtime was four-on-four. 
and Joel Quenville. Most teams would have two forwards and two defensemen in the overtime four-on-four. Joel Quenville would just put Pronger back there by himself and have three forwards because he figured Pronger could, (laughs) could cover the entire back end, and he did. And the Blues were very successful in overtimes because they were able to control the puck in the offensive end. With uh, I'm going all Canadian on you with offensive, offensive end, right? You are. And Prongs was unbelievable at being the defenseman. And he did a great job of it. Thank you, Andrew. You got it. And thanks for your texts. Good to have you with them, with your texts with us on 101 ESPN. Hey, Michelle, yes. I know that uh, Saturday you're going to be at Copper Fire in Belleville from 4 to 6 p.m. I am. My hometown love Copper Fire. Now, what you need to do is get out before the game and enjoy 16 drought taps, all served ice cold. Specialty slushies, those are your favorites, right? Yes, especially the Gloria slushie. If you're watching the Blues, you need to drink the Gloria slushie. Gloria slushie, it makes sense. It's all happening Saturday from 4 to 6 with Michelle at Copper Fire in Belleville. Get more details at 101ESPN.com. Next up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by BMW of West St. Louis. They make a BMW attainable for anyone who wants one. It is time now for... You're killing me, Smalls. So the drama in the college football coaching carousel has not simmered. It continues to roll on, Randy. And Oklahoma has found their guy. After Lincoln Riley left the Sooners to go to USC, Oklahoma landed a pretty good replacement for him in Clemson defensive coordinator Brett Venables. Brett Venables has been connected to a lot of different jobs over the years, and he said that he had not found the right spot. This one was the right fit for him. He started his career, well, he got a start at Kansas State, but he was an assistant at Oklahoma from 99 to 2011. He was the team's defensive co-defensive coordinator for five seasons and then was his, its assistant head coach. And obviously, a lot of the success that Clemson has been able to have under Dabo is largely in part to the defense that Brent, Brent Venables employed. And I think this is a great hire for Oklahoma. Michelle, he is 50 years old and he's getting his first head coaching job. When he was 30, 20 years ago, he and Gary Pinkle were the finalists for the Mizzou job. Really? Yeah. He was co-defensive coordinator at Oklahoma, and he and Pinkle were the finalists 20 years ago. Now, and he turned down the Auburn job last year. He's turned down a lot of good jobs looking for the right spot. And because of his experience at Oklahoma, working with Joe Castiglione there, uh, obviously Bob Stoops still a big part of that program. I'm with you. He's a really good fit. Apparently, he's going to get Jeff Lebby, the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, to be his offensive coordinator. And I don't think Oklahoma's going to miss a beat. And anybody that talks about Brent Venables talks about what a good guy he is and how players love playing for him. So I think he'll do very well on the recruiting trail, too. They are such a good program. And Joe Castiglione is such a good evaluator of coaches, whether it was Stoops or Lincoln Riley or Mm -hmm. now Venables. I have no question that when they get to the SEC, actually, they might be better off. I know this is weird to say. They might be better off with Venables as they move to the SEC than they would have been had Lincoln Riley been their head coach. Because in the Big 12, they didn't play defense. And they were a little bit better with uh, Grinch, their defensive coordinator, than anybody else in the conference. But Brent Venables knows how to play defense against the SEC. And he knows how to win. Obviously, winning two national titles while he was with Clemson. Yeah. So... I'm sure Oklahoma fans are very upset to lose Lincoln Riley, but this is a, a pretty good next man up. 
Right. They're going to they're, they're going to be just fine. You're killing me, Smalls. Now, this one is where the drama really comes in. What is going on at Miami right now? Oh, man. So, Miami has been in talks with Oregon's head coach, Mario Cristobal, trying to make him the new head football coach at Miami. So, Mario Cristobal, for those who don't know, is a Miami native. He played for the Hurricanes. He was a former offensive lineman. And that's very important to Miami is to have someone who understands the culture at Miami and who understands South Florida. And Mario Cristobal seems to be the perfect guy for the job. Well, the problem is, A, he already has a job at Oregon and a lucrative contract offer from Oregon to remain the Ducks head coach. And Miami has also not fired Manny Diaz, their current head coach. And he's continuing to go out there and recruit for the school along with a lot of his assistants. So it's this big waiting game right now with Miami as Mario Cristobal goes on to make his decision if he's going to stay at Oregon or move to Miami. And part of me, Randy, really would love for all of this to blow up in Miami's face. I think college football is fun when Miami is good. They, they bring a certain swag. Mm-hmm. I hate using that term, but they do. They bring a certain energy and swag when they're good. But they're doing Manny Diaz really dirty right now. And I I would just love for not only Mario Cristobal to stay at Oregon, but for Manny Diaz to say, you know what? I'm going somewhere else. Forget you guys. I am with you. And the other interesting part of this is I wonder who's doing the negotiating with, with Cristobal for Miami because they don't have an AD right now. They're trying to steal Clemson's AD, another Miami product, and Dan Radakovich. That setup, we, we talk a lot about self-awareness, and I don't know that Miami can get back to what they were. They were great when they were playing at the Orange Bowl reasonably near where the school is. Now it's a 45 minute drive to get to their home stadium. Their facilities aren't that great. They've been dealing with a lot of probation issues. Uh, their Luther Campbell, who is one of their big boosters, mm-hmm. he's not part of it anymore. The Nevin, Ch- Nevin the, Shapiro said. Right, he was part of the reason that they were great. So I, I'm thinking that they believe that they can just get an expensive coach and turn that around and be what they were. I don't know that that can happen anymore. But isn't that what programs like Miami are so desperate to try to do? Yeah. Whether it's Texas or USC or Miami. I mean, you can throw Nebraska in the mix there or even Michigan to some extent, even though Harbaugh has gotten Michigan into the playoff and they're competing for a national championship. But that's what these legacy programs do is they think that they can throw money at a problem and they think that because they were once the toast of the town in college football that they can get back to prominence. But if I'm Miami, though, I am looking at not only the history of what what they've done in the past, but there's so much talent in Florida. There's so much talent there. You should be able to, to get the right coach there and to get talent there and be competitive. And I wonder what the code among coaches is. I wonder what other coaches will think of what Cristobal is doing negotiating for a job that has somebody in it right now. I wonder if there is a code amongst these guys. I don't think there is anymore. It's the Wild West out there. Although they all seem to hate Brian Kelly right now for just leaving his assistants hanging while he was negotiating with LSU. But if they were put in that same scenario, would they have been any different? Would... If they had to make that decision and there was a, a potential $100 million deal on the table and you didn't know what you were going to do, would would really, if any of these coaches were put in that position, would they act any yeah, differently? I think they got to look out for number one. I'm not saying what Brian Kelly did was right or that I absolve it in any way. I'm saying that that's the nature of the beast that's been created for these college football coaches. It is. It's not great. They've been forced to put integrity aside and taking care of the people around them aside in order to secure the big money deals. Yeah.
But this Miami thing, Manny Diaz has not been fired. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> it's unreal that we've reached this point that you you trying to get better and trying to steal somebody else's coach and doing it at the expense of a coach that you're paying right now. And what do you do, like you say, if Crystal Ball doesn't work out and he stays at Oregon and takes their big offer, do you just say, oh, sorry, Manny, that, that one's on us. You, you can be our head coach. And if you're Manny Diaz, do you want to stay there? Right. After you've been publicly humiliated like this. But I guess there is a lot of money at stake. Yeah. Well, thanks, Michelle. You got yeah. it. Uh, Andrew, do you have something? I was going to say, you know, it, it's not surprising that Brian Kelly didn't stick up for his football family. <laughs> That's true. By the way, there's a piece in The Athletic you need to check out. Brian Kelly was actually recruiting for Notre Dame, and the kid found out while he went out to talk to LSU, went out the door, it broke, the story broke while Brian Kelly was at a prospective Notre Dame recruit's house. So I read that story. He left the meeting to take a 15-minute phone call. Mm -hmm. It was he, another assistant, and offensive coordinator Tommy Reese was there. They left, and then like two minutes later, the story breaks while they were being ushered (laughs) off in a big SUV. Unreal. And you know what I thought? I wonder if the people on his staff in that room knew at that moment, no. did they find out? And they find out in the car. Did did Brian Kelly tell them face to face after it broke? Did they get a text from somebody? I want to know how that went down. You'll find out for us. I'll try to. That's Michelle, and that is uh, you're killing me, Smalls on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to cross things over with Danny Mac, the Danny Mac Show with BK coming up at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. As we were talking about Manny Diaz still being the head coach at Miami, Bruce Feldman and others tweeted, and we didn't see, so thanks if you did text into a 65780 that Manny Diaz has been fired at Miami, which seems to indicate that they have reached an agreement with Mario Cristobal, the Oregon head coach, to return to Miami as their head coach. Oh, how nice of them that they finally fired Manny Diaz. Yeah. Only doing that once they're pretty sure, I would imagine, that Mario Cristobal has accepted the job. So thanks for keeping us up to date and keeping us staying alert as to what we're talking about. All right, Danny Mac is here in studio. Before we get to Danny Mac, we have to hear this because... Well, I'll, I'll tell you the story after we get to this. Mm. Sounds like me eating your carrot cake. Mm. And it does, yeah. That's an elf. You, yes. You, do you like sugar? Is sugar in oh, syrup? Oh, sure. Was that yeah. just... Just sound of elf of Buddy the eating elf eating spaghetti with syrup on it. Yeah. Oh, you like sugar? Is sure is sugar in syrup? Yes. Then yes. So I used to do a uh, trivia night for Dan, and Dan wrote all the questions. It was at Viani, <laughs> and so it was always around this time of year. It was actually this weekend, wasn't it? It, 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 it was, was always the championship weekend, right? And so it was on Saturday nights, and Dan would do a Christmas movie category every year. And for the Christmas movie category, about five of the questions inevitably were about a Christmas story. Yes. Um, (laughs) Many years, people started to catch on what was going on, and Randy was so gracious in in hosting this. And I had one of my best friends from high school passed away. And so 
I decided to do a trivia night in his name, and it's now a self-sustaining scholarship at uh, at Miani. And so I would call Randy, and I'd say, okay, Randy, would you uh, please, you know, host this thing? And I would inevitably wait to the last minute to get my trivia questions. And it just happened to be where sometimes I'd go, and eh, what would we do in 07? Yeah, just whip those out, you know, and it would be like the same questions. And then I would always have a few questions in there that would only, only my brother would know. <laughs> it was like, so my brother played football at Boston College. You know, it'd be like, on the Doug Flutie play against Miami, who was the starting left tackle? You know, things of that nature that, he, you know, some random question that he would know. And maybe I cheated a little bit when I was in the audience with a team, but I never won. <laughs> Well, a couple times. And then we, we would <laughs> donate the money back to, if you won, uh-huh. making sure that it went back to the the right places. You know, you got to do what you got to do, Randall. Yeah. And so I'm assuming that with the emphasis <laughs> on A Christmas Story, that that's your favorite Christmas movie. Christmas Story is probably my favorite Christmas movie. Although I did watch over the weekend uh, Christmas Vacation, and that is hard. to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it still makes so me laugh. Uncontrollably, I, I just I think it's hilarious. It's just it's timeless. When did you move to Florida, Clark? <laughs> so there was the uh, I shouldn't be talking about it, but there was the scene when he goes in to to buy the gift for his wife, and there's a very attractive lady at the desk, and uh, and my 12 year old son was like, "This is a really good movie, Dad." He had never <laughs> he thought that part he thought that scene was hilarious. I was reading a thing over the weekend where I think. Will Ferrell was offered like $30 million to do Elf 2 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he said, I'm not going to do it because I, I basically he said, I, I can't replicate what I did in Elf. And so I don't want to take it away. I don't want to take away Good for from him. him. Yeah. Well, when you get that kind of money, I right. guess you can pick and choose. But, yeah. but um, he wants to maintain the integrity of what he was then. And he's probably right that he could not pull off now what he did, what, 15 years ago when Elf right. was made. It's an awesome movie, though. It is. It's, it's hilarious. So good. Yeah. Cottonhead and Ninny Muggins. Yes. I, I'm i still a big fan of It's a Wonderful Life, too. Oh, that's my favorite Christmas movie, hands down. Is it really? Yeah. That's my favorite black and white. But sometime this week, I will watch Die Hard because that's my favorite Christmas movie. We're not going to go down that road again, Randall. Okay. I've Don't never say seen it. it. You've never seen Die Hard? I've never seen Die Hard. I know. You're you're like a, you know, a man, woman, person of the people and I don't know how you're supposed to say that. You know, you say man of the people, but I'm trying to get it a right. Oh, man of the people. Right. So, um you haven't seen a lot of really good movies. I you know. might as well say Godfather's a, a holiday movie too then. Yeah. No problem with that. Okay. Whatever you want to do. All right. I like that too. Does Die Hard hold up? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Not completely. Kind of. See, we're already starting to. That's why I don't. I haven't seen a lot of these movies. Is because I'm like, am I really going to waste a couple hours of my time? And this movie is not that great. You will. In, oh no, it's great. You will thoroughly enjoy it. And you say it's a Christmas movie Hard. because it was at, based at Christmas time. The entire movie takes place on Christmas Eve, hmm. with Santa's, with Christmas music throughout, with uh, people buying Christmas presents for other people. With the the ultimate success for the the bad guys being a Christmas miracle, yes, it is, it is a Christmas miracle. Yeah, what he pulled off. Yeah, it is. It, that is true. But then there's also death, 
um, oh, no explosions. Wonder Randy <laughs> well, at the very beginning, Hole. there's a little drug use. Whoa. Yeah, there is. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. Scandal. All mm-hmm. right. Uh, Dan, what you got coming up on the Dan McLaughlin Show with BK? Lou Korak talking a little blues. Blue and then uh, Gabe DeArmond talking Mizzou as Mizzou is headed to the Armed Forces Bowl on the 22nd of December, which is the same night of uh, the Bragging Rights game. I do not blame Mizzou fans if they don't travel very well to the Armed Forces Bowl in Fort Worth. Or, or the Bragging Rights game. I was going to say, this could be an ugly one for the Bragging Rights game, too. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be nasty. It was a tough weekend for local uh, colleges, man. It was. SLU had a tough night on Saturday. Were you at the game? Did you go to the Did UAB? Did not make that one, no. Good game. Really good game. UAB is really good. And uh, had a chance to win that game. They didn't. And then uh, lost in soccer. So uh, try to regroup for the Billikens tomorrow against Belmont. Let's go Billikens. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Daniel. Okay, guys. Thanks. That is Dan McLaughlin, his show coming up at the top of the hour. Great job today by our producer engineer, Andrew Marsh. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Randy. Michelle, it was a fun Monday. It was. I'll see you tomorrow. We appreciate you tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.